Well, this morning we return to the study, our study of uh, the book of Mark, uh, after taking a break uh, last week. Uh, Remember, it's our desire in the study of the book of Mark to see Jesus, that we might truly know Jesus, that we might follow Jesus. And this, of course, is Mark's concern as he, through the experience of Peter, remember, as he continues to paint for us a portrait of who Jesus is, a portrait for us to meditate upon. Those of you who have been here for this study, at least the first several weeks of this study, know that uh, the portrait that Mark gives us of Jesus is one that is fast-paced. It's one that leaves out much detail, instead focusing on action, focusing on these noteworthy clips and and highlights of Jesus' life. And you might remember when we were here in Mark chapter 1 two weeks ago, uh, we examined the day in the life of Jesus. As we pick it up now in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35, uh, we have moved on to the very next day, very early in the next day. And so follow along with me as I read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. You can follow along in the insert that's found in your bulletin or in your own Bibles. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He, that is Jesus, departed, And went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin by simply asking you a question. How do you perceive Jesus? When you read or when you hear read these gospel accounts, how do you perceive his experiences, his interactions with people? You know, sometimes I I watch or I've seen in the past these pictures, these portrayals of Jesus in in motion picture films. 
And the description that comes to mind as I, as I see a depiction of Jesus in a motion picture is, is that of reactionary wanderer. You know what I mean? It, it seems sometimes that Jesus is like a pinball. He's bouncing from place to place, from need to need, just reacting to whatever He comes across. It's a description that I know sometimes can sneak into the background, even when I'm reading the Gospels. He arrives on the scene and and people are there, so He teaches them. Too many people are there, so He turns around and goes somewhere else. People show up sick and so He heals them. But sometimes our lives, admittedly, our lives feel like that tossed to and fro by circumstances that are ultimately out of our control. But if you have ever had that conception or that perception of of Jesus and His ministry as just some reactionary wanderer, it's false. Because Jesus didn't live like this. And I'm not saying that Jesus was never forced to deal with the unexpected. But what I want us to see this morning is that undergirding his whole life and his whole ministry was a purposefulness and an intentionality that we need to see. We need to see it because we need it from him and we need to see it because we need to be like him. In other words, we need to to take note and just sit back and and see who Jesus is. To stand in awe, to give worship, to give thanks, to, to simply stand in His shadow, so to speak. But we also need to take note and be challenged in our own lives and walk in His footsteps. You see, as I read this passage and as I studied this passage this week, there's one word that just kept coming to my mind. It was the word intentionality. That's the theme that jumped out at me from these verses, and that's where I want to set our thoughts and our hearts here this morning, by just thinking about three intentional aspects of Jesus's ministry. Three things that I want you to notice, and the first is this. Notice Jesus's intentional pace. His intentional pace. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's something I've said in my house multiple times. I've said this phrase, Jinky, you need to pace yourself. Now if you know my family, you know that Jinky is the name of my mother-in-law. And it's a phrase that I have said to my mother-in-law countless times over the years as she has come to visit us and our family. Jinky, you need to pace yourself. And believe me, I say it with the utmost love and respect for her. You see, when Jinky comes to our house, when Anna's mom comes to our house, she is so giving. She's so good with our children, reading, taking walks, taking trips to the park, taking trips to the store, picnics in the backyard. And then she comes in and she wants to take over the kitchen. She wants to cook. She wants to do all the dishes. And she'll literally do this until she hits the wall. 
and crashes and burns and we find her asleep somewhere in the house. She pours herself empty until she has nothing left to give. And so I've often reminded her just gently, pace yourself. Feel free to say no. You can't do that. Feel free to disappear. Feel free to to take a nap for a little bit. See, one of the things that I find striking and frankly jolting about this passage in Mark chapter 1 is verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it is still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. You see, I find that jolting because we've been on this pace of immediately, immediately, immediately. Four times in the last passage alone, Mark has been rushing us along through Jesus' life. And now suddenly, not just is there a rest, not just is there a slowdown, but there is an absolute stop, a pause to all the action as Jesus literally disappears. And Mark's deliberate description of Jesus' actions here stand out because he uses four verbs. He rose. He departed. He went. He prayed. And we know from the Gospel accounts, those of you who have read the Gospel accounts and know and love Jesus for years, we know that Jesus prays a lot in His ministry, but Mark only records Jesus praying three times. And the first and the last particularly are at critical moments in his life and ministry. The first one happens here. The last one happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Mark tells us here that he went to a desolate place. It's the same word that Mark uses back in verse 12 to describe Jesus' time of temptation. You see, essentially, Jesus returned to the wilderness, to the desolate places. Now, it wasn't the same wilderness that he was in. Now he's up in the north. He's up in Capernaum. But it was like the wilderness in that it was desolate, and he was wholly dependent and alone with his Father. We wonder as we read about Jesus, what what was going on? I mean, what was going on in Jesus' head at this point? Was the the burgeoning popularity and and the swarms of people beginning to overwhelm him, even tempting Jesus to be something different than what he was supposed to be, than what the Father called him to be? Or was he beginning to experience Frustration that his miracles, which were creating a whole lot of attention, were just becoming a distraction for what he really wanted to do, what he really came to do. Notice Mark doesn't tell us what he prayed. Mark just tells us, Mark just tells us that he went to pray, that he needed to pray, that he needed his Father. He needed quiet. He needed communion. He needed refocusing. 
It's really a striking verse. And you likely know where I'm going with this. See, we're, we're the disciples. We're the disciples. The disciples realize he's missing. They sleep in. Of course they do. And the force of the verb that's used in verse 36 is that they, literally, they went on a hunt for Jesus. They're hunting him down. Every other time Mark uses this word in his book, it's negative. So they're hunting for Jesus. And in their frustration, their frustration is really confirmed in this next verse where they say, everybody is looking for you. In other words, Jesus, where the heck have you been? There are a ton of folks that need you. Come on, Jesus, this thing is really starting to take off. This is no time to simply disappear. Just look at the contrast between the disciples and Jesus. The disciples are driven by the tyranny of the urgent. They're driven by the expectations of others. They're driven by their own misguided expectations of what they think Jesus ought to be about and what Jesus ought to be doing. And then there's Jesus. Jesus has an unhurried heart. He's unconcerned about the expectations of others. He's only concerned about the will of His Father in heaven. Not to mention, He is bound as a man by His own limitations, by His own need. In other words, Jesus got tired. Intentional pace. Intentional rest. Intentional communion. Were there needs that needed to be met? Absolutely. There will always be needs that need to be met in a broken world. But Jesus knew that He couldn't meet all those needs. He didn't come to meet all those needs. He came for something bigger and much more expansive. You see, as I think about letting this this portrait, this aspect of Jesus, as I think about letting this change me, it's both challenging and encouraging. It's challenging, rebuking really, because I so easily say that there is too much to do in order to slow down. Right? We all know, and we, we look at Jesus' life again, and we are reminded that that's so misguided. And when I think about my busyness, I want to be busy. I don't want to slow down because busyness validates me, busyness distracts me from what I really need. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed an early morning with the Father in the midst of all this, how in the world do we think we are going to survive without any early mornings ourselves? And I don't want us to think about this merely in terms of a quiet time or merely in terms of the discipline of prayer. You don't need those things. 
What you need is God. What you need is your Father. What you need is rest and quiet and beauty and humility and truth. Yes, you can converse with Him all day. Jesus certainly did. But multitasking prayer, as I've heard it called, is is not what Jesus models here. As good as it is, as appropriate as it is, it's not what we see here. But this intentional pace of Jesus is not only challenging and rebuking for me, it's also encouraging. It's encouraging because of what Jesus leaves undone. Right? There will always be more, more need than there is ability to fill it. You can't fix everybody. You can't do everything. Know your limitations. Intentional pace. Marvel at it. Reflect it in your own lives. See, we need this heart. This unhurried heart of Jesus. And that's the first thing I want us to see this morning from this passage. The second is this. Moving on to verses 40 and following. I want you to see Jesus' intentional condescension. Intentional condescension. My family is pretty excited about this summer. Maybe some of you are excited about this summer because this summer is an Olympic year. Specifically, a summer Olympic year. And we love the summer Olympics in our house. There's been a lot of chatter about the Olympics this year because, uh, if you don't know, they are slated to be held in Rio de Janeiro. And the host city has been in the news a lot because of a harmful virus that is plaguing that region, the Zika virus, one that uh, transmits through mosquito bites and can cause severe birth defects in unborn babies. And so some athletes and some fans are just saying, we're not going. We're not going to participate in these games because of the potential risks. And one really can't blame them for their fear. I think about this as I read some articles about this. Um, I remember years ago when when AIDS first came on the scene and there was a lot of concern and about it, a lot of confusion about how AIDS was transmitted. If you had AIDS and people found out, watch out because people were scared. People were super cautious, not knowing whether they should be close. You see, I speak of these things that are modern realities for us to get us on track for the story and the situation that Jesus is confronted with. Think about the fear of exposure. Think about measures to avoid as we read verse 40. And a leper came to him. You see, that means nothing to us. It's it's hard for us to feel anything. A leper came to him. See, the ancient designation of leper had to do with a number of skin conditions. That was a big umbrella descriptor for 
some 72 different conditions. And we don't know specifically what this man had. What we do know is that as a leper, as having some sort of skin condition in the ancient Jewish context, he was not only physically hurting, hoping for a cure, but this man was also ostracized socially. He was declared unclean by the law. Listen to Leviticus 14.35. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, leprosy wasn't the result of sin. It wasn't punishment for sin. But in the Old Testament, this uncleanness of a leper was a symbol for sin. It was a barrier to the presence of God. It was a barrier to the presence of God's people. And so here comes this man who obviously had heard about the reputation of Jesus, and he comes right up to Jesus, violating all sorts of social protocol, and he literally begs to be healed. Now remember, the crowds parted for this man. This man had literally not been touched in years. And what does Jesus do? Well, first of all, Mark says that Jesus was moved with pity. That's the way most of your translations translate that Greek phrase. But there's also another translation that can be used there. It's one that's confirmed elsewhere in the Gospels. We also could say Jesus was moved with anger. Of course, if we say moved with pity, that's accurate. Jesus was a man of compassion, a man who felt people's needs, but moved with anger fits well too. Not because Jesus is angry at the man. No, Jesus is angry at the man's condition. Jesus is angry at the effects of sin that are before him. And just like he got angry at the demon and muzzled him and said, shut up and get out. Here he looks at the man and he becomes fiercely upset at the ravages of sin in our world. It's a great picture that we have of Jesus. And then in almost a slow motion description, Mark very demonstratively writes, He stretched out His hand and He touched Him. Jesus with the demon that we looked at several weeks ago, Jesus simply spoke the word of power and it was banished. He certainly could have done that here, but He didn't. He didn't because He intentionally condescends. See, the law told Jesus, to stay away from this man. Don't dare touch him because he's ceremonially unclean. If you touch him, you become ceremonially unclean. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do. 
He wanted to model love over the letter of the, wall, of the law. He wasn't interested in trampling the law. In fact, he tells the man to do what the law says to do, to go show himself to the priest that he might be declared clean, that he might be restored. But by touching the man in his uncleanness, Jesus is identifying with the brokenness and the need of this man in a profound way. And Mark even puts an, he puts an exclamation point on this whole concept at the end of the section. At the end of this account, do you see where these two men end up? Verses 40, verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it to spread the news, but Jesus was out in desolate places. They switched places. The man was out in desolate places, unclean, and Jesus was surrounded, and now the man is surrounded, and Jesus is in desolate places. And that's the point. That's the plan. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. He came to serve. He came to condescend. He came to give His life away. We need this. We need this touch as spiritual lepers. We need the hope of this fellowship, of this peace, and Jesus has come to me. He enters our muck in order that He might pull us out. But we also need this heart, don't we? As those who have experienced cleansing, as those who have been restored to fellowship, we need this heart of Jesus. For those who are still on the outside, for those who are still on the fringes of our church, of our community, of our society. Intentional condescension. One last thing, real briefly, that I want us to see from this passage. And it's Jesus' intentional mission. Jesus shows us His intentional pace, His intentional condescension, but He also shows us His intentional mission. This takes us back to verses 38 and 39. After Jesus had been found, He says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus reminds us what, or Mark reminds us, excuse me, what Jesus' ultimate goal was. Jesus didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to proclaim Himself as the bringer of God's kingdom. He came to give Himself as a ransom for many. And it's those things, reconciliation with the Father and allegiance to the King that are fundamentally more crucial and trump any kind of temporal healing that Jesus can give. And that's why Jesus tells the leper sternly to be quiet because He knew people would become so focused on their surface needs that they wouldn't hear of their greater need the need for repentance, the need for internal change. 
Thank God that Jesus stayed on course and stayed on His mission. And we're really not that much different. We haven't changed all that much. How easily we want to focus merely on what God can do for us here and now, today, this week, rather than what He has done in Jesus. And what that might mean for our lives, no matter what we're going through. Isaiah 53.10 prophesied that it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. And indeed, that was Jesus' focus and His mission. In John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said to His disciples, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father's taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Intentional mission. Praise God that He stayed the course. And because He did, we have life. Because He condescended, we have hope. And because of His pace, we can have peace. And so rest in Him. Worship Him. Reflect this intentional Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the portrait of Jesus that Mark has given us. Oh, make us that much more aware, that much more in love with our Savior. That we might walk as He walked. That we might have His eyes. That we might have His heart. That we might have His pace. Holy Spirit, do that work in us that only You can do for the glory of Your name and for the good of Your church, we pray. Amen.